North Korea's growing nuclear and missile threats have reignited the national debate over South Korea's nuclear armament and redeployment of U.S. strategic assets. It has also called into question the effectiveness of United States extended deterrence. For an in-depth analysis on the issue, we connect with Mr. Bruce Klingner, Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C. Good morning, and I guess good evening over on uh, the U.S. side. Right. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Uh, I'm going to be jumping around a little bit uh, on the list of questions uh, that we sent you previously. But let's start off uh, with the current provocations that North Korea has um, signaled through the multiple missile tests in recent months, as well as um, some of the artillery shelling that they have conducted or in the previous couple of days here in uh, South Korea, amongst the border between North and South Korea, especially on the maritime border. This has uh, you know, prompted a lot of the Korean uh, leaders, including uh, President Yoon, to bring up the issue of tactical nuclear uh, weapons to be brought up back into the Korean Peninsula. So, but then traditionally, uh, a lot of the people have said, hey, you know, we got to de-escalate the situation. We have to denuclearize the peninsula. And on the opposition, people are saying, hey, you know, the the hope of a denuclearization, especially denuclearizing the North, that's all, you know, that's more of hopium. Uh, it, it, it's, it's unrealistic. Um, so maybe we need to take, uh, take it the other way. And uh, we need to protect ourselves and um, you know, provide the necessary defense mechanism to deter Pyongyang in that way. So what, what's your opinion on those two thoughts? Well, you've, you've raised a lot of issues there. Uh, first of all, uh, President Yun during the campaign uh, seemed to raise what I would say all three nuclear issues. The reintroduction of U.S. tactical nukes into the into onto the Korean Peninsula, South Korea having an indigenous program or a nuclear sharing agreement, uh, such as the U.S. has with with Europe. Once he came into office, he dismissed all three of those ideas, and then most recently, what he said is, "Or well, we'll look at different options." I mean, kind of a very vague comment. And then uh, Vice Minister Shin Bom Cho, he said. What Korea is most interested in is uh, the resumption of rotational deployment of U.S. strategic assets. And that means bombers, dual-capable fighter aircraft, uh, and carriers. So Seoul is actually not raising, the government itself is not raising sort of those three nuclear issues. Um, but is, is the vice minister raising what was already agreed to between Presidents Biden and Yun? Uh, at their meeting in May of, yeah, we're going to resume our uh, strategic deployments. Uh, that's not permanently putting a bomber or dual-capable aircraft in South Korea, but it's resuming the rotational deployment, which we were doing up until 2018 when President Trump stopped. It. Um, so kind of that's where South Korea is now. And then the U.S. government has sort of said they're not interested really in uh, certainly the first two options, but perhaps discuss a nuclear sharing agreement. All of that, I think, is is coming under sort of behind closed doors discussion with the resumed extended deterrence group. The unsettling 
times currently. So um, some people who were who are calling strongly calling for a, a domestic nuclear program here in South Korea are saying that hey, we're cha- we're seeing a maybe a, a changing global landscape. We you have you know Putin. Uh, waging war in Ukraine and challenging the, I guess, um, the defense posture of NATO. Uh, You have China possibly poking and prodding over issues in Taiwan. And then we have North Korea. So North Korea, obviously, the smallest actor of of the global um, pariahs, I guess you could say. But if the U.S.'s attention is distracted uh, by the actions of Russia in Ukraine, uh, possible Chinese provocations over Taiwan, then can North Korea, would North Korea take a chance at, you know, throwing a swing out here to try to maybe legitimize themselves? Because that's all they've been kind of going for all these decades, like figuring out a way to give themselves relevance and some sort of legitimacy. Um, And so people are worried. Is U.S. distracted enough? Is the nuclear umbrella and the defense uh, mechanisms that U.S. has has placed around the globe, is that enough to protect South Korea? Um, Do they have a point there? Well, I would say the the U.S. response would be uh, we have a treaty commitment to defend the Republic of Korea. We have an extended deterrence guarantee. We have uncount, you know, countless uh, presidential and other senior administration official statements over the decades or the years of, yeah, we will use all necessary means. And that was just reaffirmed, I think, today or yesterday by the the Minister, the Secretary of Defense. Uh, And then obviously the presence of 28,500 of our sons and daughters in uniform. Um, The U.S. responds quite strongly when our our citizens or our allies are, are attacked. So, um, it's sort of what else can we do? Now, I think the, the resurrection of the extended deterrence working group is an excellent idea. Um, and that way we can explore, kind of you know, ask South Korea, what more can we do to reassure you? Now, when we deploy bombers either you know, flying around the peninsula or we deploy a carrier in the waters, uh, or deploy dual-capable aircraft onto the peninsula for an exercise or so, you know, Korea will feel reassured, but then 10 minutes after they left, they'll say, well, we're not reassured. Anymore. So the question would be, well, what, what more can we do? Now, on a, uh, I think the easiest option or, or, you know, to dismiss is the reintroduction of U.S. Te- tactical nukes on the, the Korean peninsula. The ground weapons that we withdrew no longer exist. The atomic landmines, the artillery shells. So what the tactical nuclear weapons, they are currently on ships, planes, and submarines. They're very hard to locate, very hard to target by North Korea. If you take the, the weapons off of those hard to find and hard to target uh, launchers and put them into a fixed bunker in South Korea, it's like having all the policemen who are walking around in bad neighborhoods take all their bullets and put them back at headquarters. You've actually reduced your defense and deterrence capability. Um, you've now created a very high 
value target for North Korea to hit preemptively. Uh, and then also during a, a, a crisis, when we say, okay, things are getting tense, we probably need to put the nukes back onto their launchers. That would be when people might say, oh, no, you can't do that. That would be escalatory. So you might have permanently degraded your deterrence and defense capabilities. Uh, so I'll leave it there, and then we can also get into the South Korean nuclear weapons. I see. Um in uh, your latest report, uh, and we're going to try to get into the psyche of the North Koreans here a little bit, uh, you mentioned that Pyongyang's growing nuclear and missile arsenal suggests their possible shift towards a war-fighting uh, strategy that include, includes a potential preemptive use of tactical nuclear weapons. Um, so, step by step, how far has North Korea evolved in their nuclear capabilities, you think they are really willing to have a preemptive uh, use of that such weapons? And um, explain to us a little bit more about your term, this war fighting strategy. What does that really entail? Right. Well, what we've seen is is over the years, uh, as North Korea has developed and improved and augmented its nuclear and missile capabilities. Uh, those were driven by its nuclear doctrine and strategy, and then the improvements caused changes or refinements of the doctrine itself. So it was a bit of a, of, of a circular uh, pattern there. So as North Korea went from just having tactical nukes on the Scud and Nodong missiles that could hit South Korea uh, and Japan, for they've had that capability at least for a decade, um, then as they moved to develop strategic weapons that can hit the continental United States. That was to try to drive a wedge between the United States and its allies. The idea of, well, the U.S. would never trade San Francisco for Seoul. We would never come to South Korea's defense. Well, you know, we were willing to risk 100 million casualties in a nuclear exchange with the Soviet Union during the Cold War, in essence, risking San Francisco, New York, and, and Washington, D.C. for Bonn, Paris, and London. Um, and then what we've seen in the last oh, three, four years is uh, development of probably a dozen new short and medium range missiles, all of which are more capable uh, than their predecessors. And then in the last two years, a large emphasis by North Korea on tactical nuclear weapons, talking about deploying them to frontline units. Uh, and then we've seen the, the new nuclear law, which isn't all that new. It, codifies statements that North Korea has been saying for a decade of, uh, yes, our weapons are not only for deterrence, they are for retaliatory strikes. And also, since at least 2013, they've been threatening preemptive strikes against South Korea, Japan, and the United States. So all of this evolution of their warfighting or their capabilities and their doctrine sort of showing that they've moved from before just sort of a deterrent capability uh, and retaliation to now they can do uh, a preemptive strike as they have threatened to do for a decade. And now that they would have battlefield tactical nuclear weapons, they might use those uh, if in case of crisis. Now, we don't think North Korea is just going to wake up and say, you know, let's, let's head for Busan. Let's start a war. Um, I think more likely is either stumbling into a war through inadvertent escalation by both sides, or uh, sort of misunderstanding, um, where 
North Korea perceives the U.S. and South Korea's routine military exercises are actually, you know, they think because they have such terrible reconnaissance capabilities that it's actually preparations for war. And then they, as they have said they would do, preempt the preemption. So I think the, the concern is that they would have the capabilities to do much more than they could before, not that they're about to launch a war, but if we did get into a war, uh, it would be far more dire than before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to go a little bit off a uh, tangential subject. Um, so part of the threat of the nuclear uh, missile system that North Korea is developing um, that in turn has uh, led uh, to the um, THAAD missile systems being deployed by the Park Geun-hye administration. Um, you, in, in the last few months, you uh, put out an article on how South Korea should not let China push them around on the missile defense system issue, right? Um, mm-hmm. So there is the military aspect, the defense aspect of this subject, but then there's also the economic uh, side to this. Uh, China can flex their economic power and really affect uh, South Korea's South Korea's economy because we depend on them so heavily in trade. So how do you think uh, South Korea, we're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. How do, how do we balance that uh, from your perspective? Right. Well, first of all, back when THAAD was being considered for deployment, it's better than anything Korea has or will have. The, the medium-range uh, surface-to-air missile and the long-range, the MSAM and the LSAM that Korea is deploying and, and then developing uh, are not as capable as that. Um, so that is a better defensive system. Uh, and it's used in conjunction with Patriots and other you know, counter-offensive means. Um, so when the debate was, was going on, the question was, should South Korea abandon or subsume its national security and its sovereignty to Chinese economic threats? The decision reflects a lot of what South Korea is. Uh, do you shortchange your national security and your sovereignty because of economic costs? What we've seen more recently is Japan, Australia, and other nations have been standing up to China and uh, have been able to mitigate the, the downside. So one of the things we've seen now is a, is a new emphasis on economic security. And South Korean companies and other companies are diversifying away from uh, China uh, whether it's to the U.S. or towards other countries. We've seen under the Yun administration new initiatives towards Australia, Mongolia, and others for critical minerals. So there's a, a new push by a, a number of Asian democracies to diversify away from China, uh, which actually was one of the objectives of the U.S.-Korea Forest Free Trade Agreement of a decade or so ago. Um, so, but it, it's a question of, you know, what does South Korea stand for? You know, does it abandon its national interests for its short-term economic interests? And that also has affected South Korea uh, avoiding a larger regional role out of concern about how China will respond. And now we've seen other nations stepping up the plate to do that. And the UN administration said it will assume a larger regional security role. And, and we'll see if it, if it carries through on that. Yeah. Uh, with that said, though, China is still the number one trading partner for South Korea and U.S., uh, the number two trading partner. Um, 
continuing on the China, the the line of um, China. So people say if if new if like you said if North Korea decides to preemptively strike, that's almost a suicide mission. But then that could possibly escalate a regional war that might bring in China into the fold as well. So. A preemptive strike by North Korea is almost out of the equation. Is is that a, a an assumption that has uh, some basis on it? Well, what what we've heard is um, when China had renewed the uh, defense treaty with North Korea even uh, years ago, they had made clear to Pyongyang that uh, this was not a blank check. That if North Korea started the war, they may be on their own. Uh, if the U.S. or South Korea started the war, then China would come to North Korea's assistance. So North Korea would have to take that into account. Um, now, if, if if I could sort of jump back to the indigenous uh, South yes. Korean nuclear program, you know there are a number of, of things there. Uh, one is what is the objective? Is it as some have said, it's to nuclearize in order to denuclearize? in order to sort of generate impetus in, in negotiations? Is it to have a, a deterrent and defense or retaliatory capability? If so, uh, I haven't seen anyone address the question of, uh, would it be integrated into Combined Forces Command or would it be a truly independent nuclear program without any consultation with the, the United States, its ally? Um, that would if it's totally independent, that would be of great concern to Washington. Mm -hmm. The other thing would be um, it would divert a lot of money away from what South Korea has been spending the money on for its defense purposes. Um, you know, it would cost a fair amount of money for a nuclear program. So you'd either have to raise taxes, raise defense spending, or take money away from necessary defense programs to build something that the U.S. is already providing. I see. Uh, so violate the Non-Proliferation Treaty. It could lead North, uh, South Korea the subject to sanctions. It could lead the nuclear suppliers group to cut off fissile uh, material deliveries to South Korea for both its military and, and civilian uh, nuclear reactors. Um, it could, if you, you mentioned the Chinese retaliation against a defensive missile system, Imagine what China may do if South Korea developed nuclear weapons. Right. Uh, it could also lead to a, a Japanese nuclear program. Right. Well, and we think we have to cut you off right there because of time constraints, but we appreciate your time so much today, Mr. Cleaner. Oh, thanks for letting me ramble on. No, you're fantastic. Thank you so much. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.